1: Good morning, everyone. This is Rob Golfie with RE-MAX, the Golfie team. Welcome to the Golfie Real Estate Show Hamilton Edition with host Rick Zamprin.
2: Yes, welcome to the show. We have lots to talk about today on the Golfie Real Estate Show Hamilton Edition, including things you need to know when you're buying a century-old home. And what if a buyer can't close a deal? What happens to the deposit? We'll also talk about co-buying and why co-buying has skyrocketed over the last number of years. And a new report says Ontario is going to need a million homes to keep up with demand over the next decade. All that coming up here on the Golfy Real Estate Show. Don't forget, if you want to sell your home or you're in the market to buy a house, call Hamilton, Burlington and Niagara's top real estate team, the Golfie team, 905-575-7700. Online at robgolfie.com. That's Rob, dot com. If you have a topic idea or a question for the Golfie team, send them an email. Questions at robgolfi.com. That's questions at robgolfi.com. They're all over social media. Follow the Golfie team on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Rob, what's happening in real estate these days?
1: Well, a lot of things are happening. Um I just had somebody call me and uh it was it was a friend that called me up and said, "Hey Rob, I'm looking at buying this property and it's a private deal and is this a good deal." And I says I, and I looked at it, and I says it's a fantastic deal. Jump on it before, you know, jump on it. I says run, run. And, you know like the uh like the IKEA commercial how they they uh, start the car, start the car. Yes. Yeah. Um, they, uh, purchased this property at, uh, $1.2 million and they had an appraisal done because it was a private deal. They have, you have to get an appraisal. The appraisal came in $150,000 above what the guy paid for it. Incredible. Wow. So there's a seller out there. I'm not going to say who he is. it, it, It was a private deal. Um, and he, Basically, now, if it's if it appraised that one hundred fifty thousand dollars above what this guy paid for, can you imagine if it was on the open market? OK, so if this thing, this house was on the open market, it probably would he probably would have got you know, one point four, maybe even one point three million dollars for this house three, maybe maybe two hundred three hundred thousand over asking. Hmm. So people be very careful when you're selling your house, you will lose money especially in the market we're in, have somebody come to your house, get an evaluation, call me. We will come out. We will give you. We've saved so many people money that they were going to sell privately and they end up uh, going with us because they ended up with with $100,000, $200,000, even $300,000 more. So people, when you're selling privately, be very careful because you will lose money and you can't do anything about it after it's all said and done. That's one of the things that that's happened uh, this week. Well, I want to I jump on no. this
2: because um, obviously this home seller left tens of thousands of dollars on the table, if not a couple hundred thousand dollars on the table. Is, is the notion or the idea behind selling privately still the same in the pandemic as it was before the pandemic? Their sole reason I, to do so is they
1: think they're saving money. I think if you're going to sell privately, you know what? Get an opinion out there. Be careful and get and make sure you got somebody experienced. Don't just get anybody that out there. Get an experienced realtor. Call us. I'm telling you, like, we, like I'll tell you whether it's a good deal. I just I was just on a, uh, an appointment and I, I said to the guy, like, I'm ready there to put the thing. And he, he this other guy, this is a different location, said he was offered one point three for this house. I says, take it and run. He wants to list it at one I think seven or 6. And I said, 1.3 is, is what I thought maybe you should list it at. And he goes, oh, that's too low. And I go, well, you're going to find out in six months that uh, that was a good deal. And so be very careful. Like, I know we all feel like our houses are, you know, it's got more than, than the neighbors. It's, it's worth more, you know, the location and all that kind of stuff. It is what it is. It's, your house is worth what a willing buyer is willing to pay. And right now, we do have we do have uh, the house for sale, and we're not getting any showings at the price that we have it. He should have taken the one point three, but he's going to find out later that uh, that, uh, that that number is going to be. I was right from the beginning. Mm-hmm. So, but uh, but you know, I mean, what do you? I mean, I get it. I understand. I understand. So he, we, we've got it listed, and we're slowly going to be dropping the price as time goes on. But he's taken the long road there.
2: Yeah, have we seen more um, home sellers going the private route during the pandemic, or fewer?
1: Um, I think fewer because they know they can do better with um, going with the realtor. Um, I, and then usually when it's a balanced market, then you see some uh, uh, you see the private for sales go more more often. But you got to be very careful. I, and I get it. I get it. It's expensive to sell a house. I understand. I mean, I I you know. Uh, in my 20s, I was not a realtor, but I was a, a buyer and seller of real estate as an investor. And I hated it. I hated it. But now I realize, as a realtor, the difference uh, a realtor can make. And, and, I, and I, I've got another thing that just happened this week because of that. Um, the, and, and, and experience the difference is the is slogan sometimes we use. Experience the difference. We have a, a, a gentleman. He had his house up for sale in August. And he it took it off the market shortly, and I'm not sure what happened. If he was holding offers or not, something went something that did, it didn't work out. Two weeks in August, didn't sell. September, the same agent he used, another two weeks, it didn't sell. Calls us up, and we look at it and say, okay, there's nothing wrong with the house. Like, why didn't it sell? We put it up for sale, we get fifteen thousand over the asking price. So, Rick, I don't know, I don't know. I, I, I think there is a difference in realtors sometimes. And a lot of people don't realize that uh, because you hold the license, it doesn't mean every agent has all the tools and marketing and uh, the, the, everything that's involved in, in real estate that, uh, that every agent has. Not everybody has the same thing. So be very careful there also in selecting the agent that you're using because, again, this guy was on the market two months in a row. They, they tried it, it didn't work they tried it again didn't work and then they called us and they were, he was he was not really happy with his realtor and we ended up selling it so the golfy team sells a house that another
2: agent could not sell was it more than just the price point um
1: i don't know i i, I like i mean I, I think the price point was a little bit um so they originally had it under 800,000 in august mm-hmm. they upped it up to 8 uh, 839 or 8, 840 in September. Nothing happened. We went in at 840 in October and we got 855. <laughs> wow. so, so, I mean, and the market's a lot softer now than it was in August. Like, like he should have had that thing sold, especially at, at, at just 800,000. He should have had he would have got 850 to 900,000 at that time if we had it in, uh, in August. Right. So yeah, that, that's a great like, point. I, I, like like I am tooting my own horn here. OK, guys, I understand, you know, I'm, 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 I'm bragging a little bit, but I, I'm so passionate about this business and I am so uh, passionate about, you know, I hate to see people lose when they there's better alternatives out there. And please, like, just, you know, do the right thing. This is an expensive investment you have here. Don't, you, you know, be careful who you use when you have this expensive investment. It, it could it, it could you know change what your outcome is going to be. So be very careful.
2: Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily uh, say that this goes down the, the bragging route. I think it's just proof positive that the system that the golfy team and and, and what you've developed, Rob, um, works and has worked for a lot of people and has saved some people money, has made some people money. And uh, I, I think, obviously, as I said, the proof is in the pudding. But, you know, it goes beyond and we've talked about this on past shows. It goes beyond just buying and selling homes. There's a lot more to it in terms of staging marketing, social media, uh, you know, using uh, photography and video to hype up a property. It's really a, an all encompassing system
1: that you've developed. And it's the online presence. Like, yeah, you do see me out there when you're driving around, but that's nothing compared to what we do online. And, and, uh, the online presence that we have is superior than any, anybody else's. I, I rank number two in Ontario for online presence the most, second most Googled agent in Ontario, and and, and that's us. I'm not going to tell you who the first is. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you have a battle but with that not, individual? Was, just just you... to let you know, he's not in the Hamilton Hall, <laughs> Niagara, Brantford area, just to let you know. Do you uh, have his picture uh, on
2: a dartboard we, somewhere?
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a it's, 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 uh, it's pretty close race, but but like I said, I, I rank number two yeah. as the second most Googled realtor in Ontario and uh, and and I, I just love being there and I can and I prove it and I show it to my clients when we meet with them and uh, we show them exactly how we compare and, and how Google recognizes us as one of the top realtors in Ontario as the most Google searched and that's piece- and, and, and it's most Google search for listings that's what it is oh, wow. and that's what you want yeah so if people are looking for listings we're we're number two. In on in Ontario, but the thing is, there's nobody in the market that I'm in it, it, that comes close.
2: And that's uh, that's peace of mind, I think, for especially home sellers who you know are trying to get the biggest bang for their buck. They're you know this could be their final move. You know they might be going from uh, you know a property to a a retirement uh, uh, living, uh, whether it's a retirement home or you know their their final home, and they want to know that. Their last or one of their last real estate transactions is going to be, you know, get the, the biggest bang for their buck. So uh, calling the Golfie team at 905-575-7700 will help you along your way. You can also go online, robgolfie.com. That's Rob, G-O-L-F-I dot com. When we come back, we're going to chat about well, a couple things. Ontario. Needing a whole whack of homes to keep up with demand over the next 10 years, and we mean a whack. We'll also tell you why co-buying has skyrocketed. So this is not, you know, a couple buying a home. It could be, but more or less, you know, roommates, buddies, pals, girlfriends getting their uh, pooling their resources together and going in on a property. We'll also talk about what happens to the deposit if a buyer can't close the deal and seven things that you must know before you buy a century old home. That is coming up next on the Golfy Real Estate Show, Hamilton Edition on 900 CHML.
0: You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML.
2: Our house Welcome back to the Golfy Real Estate Show Hamilton edition on 900 CHML. My name is Rick Samprin, pleased to be joined once again by Rob Golfy, sales representative with Remax Escarpment Realty, the Golfy team. You can call Hamilton and Burlington's number one Remax team in volume and unit sales at 905. Five seven five seventy seven hundred. That's 905 Online, the website is robgolfie.com. That's robgolfie.com. And follow the Golfie team on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And if you have a topic idea for a future show or a real estate email you'd like to send to the Golfie team, send it to questions at robgolfie.com. That's questions at robgolfie.com. Dot com. Still to come, we'll talk about buying a very old home and what you need to know. And if a buyer can't close a deal, what happens to the deposit? But uh, housing affordability has been a huge issue, not only here in Hamilton, uh, the Golden Horseshoe, Ontario, but really across the country. And there's a new report out called the Smart Prosperity, or the the, in, the institution behind the report is Smart Prosperity Institute. The report is called Baby Needs a New Home. And it basically says that Ontario is going to have to build a million homes over the next decade to meet the reman- meet the demand. That is a that's a lot of homes.
1: That is a lot of homes. But but remember, I've been mentioning this in previous uh, segments about it's gonna it's gonna take. I don't they they're not gonna be able to match that. They're not gonna be able to keep up to that. There's no way. Uh, that is a strong strong goal, which they uh, I I wish they can meet it, but it, it's gonna be tough because a million a mil- they've never there won't be enough people to build these homes. There's not enough people to do it. Now, the, uh, according to the report, it says that, um, what is it? 1. Uh, one million people in in the next five years between July, sorry, uh, July 1st, 2016 and, J- and June 30th, 2020, after increasing by just 600,000 persons in the previous five years. Now, when they say population growth of 1 million people in five years, that's including people passing away. So like, so every time, you know, it, what's the rate of people passing away versus the, the rate of people coming in. And then you, you get that. So let's say you're bringing in 300,000 people into Canada here, maybe a hundred thousand are passing away. So that means it's a 200, 200,000 uh, people increase in population. So, so what, what they have here in, uh, uh, in Canada is, they won't be able to keep up to that demand. I, I, I don't see it. We need it. It's too late. They should have done this 10, 15, 20 years ago. And now it's caught up to us. And that's, what's going to keep this housing market going uh, strong uh, for a long time. And, and, and the thing that's going to happen, it will balance out. It will, it will hit a ceiling. Housing prices will hit a ceiling and will flatline for a while. But, In order for it to come down, to to stop it from doing another jump in the future, they're going to have to build a lot of houses. And uh, it's an aggressive plan. They need to do it. They should have done it years ago.
2: This report also says that of that one million new homes, 910,000 will be needed for new families. Uh, 65,000 units will address current supply gaps in the market. 25,000 would provide a cushion for any other unexpected additional population growth during this people. So if more immigrants come in or if there's some kind of baby boom, there's at least a little bit of cushion. Uh, of note, though, and this is what I find interesting, and you mentioned the population growth. So there was nearly one million people um, that came to Ontario or or were born in Ontario between 2016 and 2021. That's after just over six hundred thousand people were uh, here or born, whatever, in the in the previous five years. So that's an increase of four hundred thousand from the first part of the decade to the last half of the decade. But of note, um, this report says that the goal of building one million new homes in the next ten years presents a challenge for a province whose housing construction rates have led to a supply gap of over sixty thousand housing units from 2016 to 2021. So that's basically, give or take. 12, 13,000 housing unit shortage per year. Over the next 10 years, they plan to build a hundred thousand units. I, I just don't see it, especially with all the red tape that home builders have to go through.
1: Absolutely. And you know what? Builders could build more homes, uh, but, but at this pace, there's not enough tradespeople to, to do this because a lot of the tradespeople work for the, uh, all the different home builders in the area. So, they they just, they just they, now they 're going to have to immigrate uh, people that want to do those construction jobs and now people born in this country they 're not really into doing construction jobs they you know so we have to get people that are willing to work hard and 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 bring them in to to do construction jobs so it, it, it's a, it's a big goal and you're right again with the red tape that these builders have to go through to build but it's the, it's the municipalities and the government that is causing these housing prices to increase so much because they're, they're making it expensive with the, with the development fees. If they brought those down, everything will come down the chain, but it's, it's going to be a while, Rick, because first of all, housing, housing prices are going to stay strong for a while. And I know there's, uh, you know, things out there saying that, that they see a correction happening soon. They, there will be just like we talked about last week, uh, an, an adjustment, but not as big as what they anticipate. But what I'm saying is, is they need to give it easier to the builders. But but now we got shortages of everything. We got shortage of cars. We got shortage of lumber. We got shortage of windows. It takes, you know, to get a kitchen installed and, and uh, built. We got a shortage of. Uh, it takes 12 weeks to maybe six months to get a kitchen in, in your house. So uh, it's it, there's a shortage of everything, and that's what's going to cause cause it's it's gonna to be tough. They're not gonna be able to meet that goal. And that and and there's gonna be a shortage for a while because we're so backlogged. Everybody's wanting to do stuff to their house, wanting to buy a house, wanting to change houses. It it just it it, it with this pandemic and with this shortage that's going on in the world, it, it, it's gonna take three, four years before we catch up. Just just on the shortages of things. Cars and everything. So
2: It is. uh, Yeah. I mean, whether it's lumber or semiconductor chips or whatever the case is, it has been uh, an interesting ride during the pandemic. There's also a new report from RBC, which says that the level of housing starts over the past 12 months has reached the most substantial level seen since the mid 70s. So they're building more homes. I'm not sure if they're able to keep up with the demand. Um, Coupled with that, you know, there is a pretty hot button topic in Hamilton these days, and that goes with urban sprawl and whether to build outwards and consume some farmland to build homes, or to build upward, you know, keep our our boundary as it is, but build up as opposed to out. Um, in terms of affordable housing, I'm not sure if building out is the answer because if you're building homes in Binbrook or Mount Hope or really on the outskirts of the city, are those going to be affordable units? I would think not, because the most affordable units are closer to the downtown, very close to transportation, uh, schools, shopping centers. So building up, is that going to cure affordability in Hamilton?
1: No, I, I don't think it will. They still have to build out. They still will have to build in, in uh, in Bimbrook and all the outskirts and everybody, and they're trying to preserve it. They're trying to preserve, uh, with the green belt. And, but what's causing this pres- preservation is, is housing prices moving up too much. So my, you know what? I, I, it's, people don't all want to live in a 600 square foot condo. And I get that single people they're moving in. uh, They want to start owning some real estate and they they want to live downtown, which is where everything's happening. And, and, and downtown, the only way you can do is go up. I mean, it's, it's built out. It's it's done. So now those houses downtown that are century homes and stuff, they're going up in value faster than you can imagine, but they need to, they also need to build out in Benbrook and in the farmland. And I mean, it, it, it's going that way regardless. And, and every time they keep holding off, they're pushing the housing prices up. And I get it. You, you know, people want to keep as much land as possible, but Hey, if you're bringing immigrants in, you're going to have to supply them with housing. So what you, there's nothing else you can do, but just keep building and building and, and keep going and, and it'll keep the economy going. And now we're on that track where we can't stop. They got to bring people in now to keep this economy going. Cause if they stop that, then we got problems. So it is they, a, they, they uh, will.
2: I was going to say, it is a great debate in terms of building out, building up. There's pros and cons, obviously, to both. Uh, you can listen to our show online through Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and many more. Just search for the Golfy Real Estate Show in your favorite podcast platform and hit the follow button so you never miss an episode. Uh, that'll continue to be a hot-button topic. Also of note is the uh, popularity of co-buyers. Uh, co-buying homes has skyrocketed in the last seven years, uh, so much so the number of co-buyers with different last names has surged by 771% uh, over the last seven years, between 2014 and 21. That's according to research from Adam Data Solutions. That's a lot of co-buyers.
1: It, it is. And the reason, for, especially during the pandemic, you found a lot of, a lot of people... Uh, saying hey let's buy a place uh, because they were probably maybe not having their own private area at home maybe living with their parents or um, they they needed more space so they connected with a friend or if some you know and they said let's buy a place together so we have some more room we can do stuff and and they end up buying a place it and and a lot of that that's happening I and mean, it's the only way they can afford a house too now like and, it, and it's hopefully it works out because we've done uh, shows where, you know, sometimes you, you know, you buy a, you buy a, a place with a, a friend or a family friend and it doesn't turn out too well. But if, you know, the easiest way for something like that to work is if they have two bathrooms, two bedrooms, and they share the, just a common area, which really works well. But when somebody has to share a bathroom, that's when it gets ugly. But, but you're right. it is it is it is gone up. A lot of people are buying houses together. a lot of friends are buying houses together so they just can get into the marketplace, which is a good idea, a great idea. And then, from there, they'll build some equity, and then they'll go on to buying a single family or whatever they they want a house on their own. so it's 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 a stepping stone for a lot of young people that are getting into the market. And a lot of students right now that are graduated, they probably still have student loans, and it's it's becoming difficult for them. So, in order for them to qualify, they need they need somebody to to join them in in purchasing a property.
2: You make a great point about the washroom because you know that the, the washroom, whether you are co buyers or you're a family or whatever the case is, the washroom is that one home in uh, one room in the home where there's got to be some kind of um, uh, you know checklist or schedule especially if you only have one washroom. So if you have a family of three or four, that washroom is a critical part of your day. If you have roommates that have co-bought a a, a property and you only have one washroom, um, maybe look for a home that has two because you're going to have a much more enjoyable experience,
1: I think. Oh, for sure. For sure. You know what? It just depends. You you know, you get like the odd couple. Remember the odd couple show? Uh, Maybe... a lot of a lot of millennials may not know that, but the odd couple that and uh, was it was a Felix and I forget Felix, the other guys Felix name. Unger and
2: uh, uh, who, who was the other one Jerry? Do you remember? Oscar, Oscar Madison. Madison. That's
1: it. Oscar Felix and Oscar. Oscar was the <laughs> he was you know the messy and you know slob and everything, and Felix was the neat uh, organized guy, yeah. and, and and it drove Felix nuts nuts because he couldn't handle Oscar's way, but I mean, they lived together and they were, you know, uh, friendly and Oscar, you know, purposely drove, uh, Felix crazy, but, but that's a, a comedy situation, but in real life that that happened. Mm-hmm. And, uh, as long as the mess is in their own bedroom, that's fine. But otherwise, but it, it is a good way to get started in, uh, in, in, uh, home ownership in, uh, in this country right now and anywhere in the world, because the way the market's been going, but, uh, but anyway, yeah, it's uh, it, it is becoming more and more common uh, of uh, two friends uh, uh buying properties together. A lot of girlfriends and boyfriends are are buying stuff together now, more than ever, more than ever, and they move in together first, and then they get married. Uh, so it's actually pretty good. It's not like the old days uh, where you know you left your home and got married and then you moved in together. Now it, it's the other way. So they. They looked at looked at uh, the older generation. Say, I ain't doing that. <laughs> so, they're, they're going. We're going to go for a practice run, and if it works out, then we're going to stick. Yeah. But then we'll, we'll stick to it. From uh, April to June of 2020,
2: 11 percent of buyers purchased as an unmarried couple, and three percent as uh, other, uh, for example, roommates. And uh, that is up from nine percent and two percent, respectively, from twenty nineteen. If if there are people who are listening to this and their their roommates, their their pals, their girlfriends, thinking, yeah, we should do that, what are some of the things they should take note of?
1: Well, you know, you don't want to lose a good friend that you had for a long time because you could lose a good friend. So you got to really know each other really well, uh, have some rules uh, put together. Um, hopefully, you know, you're both in the same financial situation, whether, you know, it, it, you know, you both are tight or, or both, you know, doing better than the average person, but just have rules and regulation. Cause you know, the refri- there's only one refrigerator, but it's al- always nice to have a little, uh, bar, fr- uh, bar fridge, um, in your bedroom, like a little small fridge for your, you know, you know, stuff that uh, extra that you want. But it, like I said, it's, it's, you gotta have, you gotta lay it all out and have rules because if if you got two single people uh, buying a place together and you know they're gonna bring friends over, you gotta have those rules and everything. So, but it's worked out. One of my kids' friends, they did that. They lived in there, I think, three or four years, and then they both ended up uh, buying their own place. After that, they sold that and ended up buying their own place. Very successful. That is a textbook style way of how they managed to end up owning their own place after
2: short-term pain for some long-term game that is for sure when we come back what happens when a dealer can't close uh does that person retain the deposit we'll get to that and a whole lot more still on tap here on the golfy real estate show hamilton edition on 900 chml
0: you are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900CHML. Our house is a very, very, very fine house with two cats in the yard. Life used to be so hard.
2: Welcome back. This is the Golfie Real Estate Show, Hamilton Edition on 900CHML. My name's Rick Amprin, pleased to be joined once again by Rob Golfie, sales representative with Remax's Gartman Realty, the Golfie team. You can email the Golfie team, questions at robgolfie.com. Again, that email address is questions at robgolfie.com. If you have a topic idea for a future show or a question for the Golfie team, we will reflect on that on a future program. Go to the website for the hottest listings in town, whether you're buying your home or you're selling yours. you got to get your home on Rob Golfie. Dot com. That's Rob That's RobGolfi.com. How do you get your home on that website? Well, you got to call the Golfi team, 905-575-7700. That's 905-575-7700. You'll be dealing with Hamilton and Burlington's number one REMAX team in volume and unit sales. And follow the Golfi team on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook as well. What happens to the deposit if a buyer can't close the deal? Does that
1: money vanish, Rob? That's... You know what? I'm going to tell you something. That's the one thing that I do not like that that the law, the way it's set up for uh, real estate for for sellers. Okay. Everybody, everybody thinks thinks this, and it's not really. It, it, it's true to a certain degree. If you put a fifty thousand dollar deposit on a house that you're buying as a deposit, right? The deposit, Here's my deposit. And, you know, let's say it's a million dollar house, but a $50,000 deposit. Now let's say that guy does not close the deal, right? Mm-hmm. What happens to that $50,000 deposit? You, you think that the seller would get it automatically. It's not the case. Really? It isn't the case. I mean, they do get it, but sometimes it could take a year to get it. And, 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 and it's, it's aggravating and it's, and I hate the way the system is set up and it's always bothered me. And, and I like, I like talking about it uh, uh, all the time. So like on the mutual release. So what happens is the buyer can't close the deal. Now you have to have a signature from the buyer and the seller on the same thing saying, we're mutually agreeing that we're separating from this deal. We are, are not binding this deal anymore. But if the buyer says, well, I'm not leaving my deposit. Well, and the seller says, well, you have to because you, you didn't close. Well, then I'm not signing this this agreement. So now you may have to sue that guy. Hmm. Now, if you a small claims court is up to thirty five thousand, so are you going to shortchange yourself if he doesn't want to leave? So now this deposit sitting in trust, nobody can touch it unless you have both signatures saying being released. And then sometimes you can't even sell the house right away because maybe this guy might win the lottery in a month from now, a month from the closing date and says, hey, I can close now. Now, if you sell it to somebody else, he's going to say, so you, you, it's, this, it's this damn paperwork that I hate about it. And now, wh- wh- what, it, what it says here, it, it says, claims and sums of money arising out of the above agreement of purchase and sale together with any rights and causes of action that each party may have had against, uh, against the other and the brokerage, and we direct the deposit holder to disperse the deposit. So basically, they're signing something saying that once –
0: the,
1: the deposit, whatever you have to negotiate to get the deposit from the buyer, from the trust account, they can't sue after. So I, I I had a lawyer put up a clause. Now, every buyer does not want this in their clause, but every seller would want. And basically, I've, I've got a clause that says that um, buyers, um, it, it says, what, uh, what is it here? Agreement of purchase and sale. Um, it they can actually direct the deposit to the seller signed by uh, signed by either party, so basically we can uh, I have a closet where if the buyer does not close the deal, let's say he doesn't make an effort let's say it, it, it does close it uh, w- a week later, but if he doesn't close the deal, it automatically the deposit gets to the seller without any agreement to sign a mutual agreement. That's the way it should be. Huh. But it's not like that, Rick. And it's frustrating. And I feel sorry. It, it doesn't happen often. People don't close. But it does happen. It does. Uh, sometimes somebody may end up buying, a, uh, they put an offer on a house, put 50000 down, they end up buying a, a, a truck, and they can't close the deal because they, now their credit score doesn't apply. Yeah. Well, they'll never be able to close the deal. Well. Um, what's going to happen? Like now, they're tied. The sellers, the sellers tied. They have to sue and everything else like that. You know, and it costs money to sue for the money if you hire a lawyer. So you, you just, it's, it's, a, it's a non-win situation. So I truly feel that uh, there's a clause that we use sometimes. And if the buyer doesn't close the deal, and you know, I mean, like sometimes they might be a day. Uh, it, it takes a day, extra day or so. Buyer doesn't close the deal. The deposit automatically goes to the seller. Too bad. Sorry, that's just the way it is. And, and sellers believe that that's how it happens, but it doesn't. And buyers, they feel that they lose their deposit if they don't close. So why not have that clause in there that I have that it's automatically directed without any, any, any signatures if they don't close? So it's, it, this, is, uh, this is kind of a, a little bit of a, a, a scandal in the real estate industry, the way the, the system is set up, the, the legal system is set up. I don't like it. Everybody doesn't like it but it should be changed and uh, I wish, I wish they do change it. Um, it, It's just, it's not right.
2: Yeah, it's really interesting stuff. When we come back, seven things to know about buying a century-old home. Stay tuned for that. You're listening to the Golfy Real Estate Show, Hamilton Edition on 900 CHML.
0: You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. Homeward bound, I wish I won- down. Home, where my thoughts are escaping Home, where my music's playing Home, where my love lies waiting silently
2: One last go-round here on the Golfie Real Estate Show, Hamilton Edition on 900 CHML. Rick Zamprin here. On the line once again, Rob Golfie, sales representative with Remax's Cartman Realty, the Golfie team. You can find them on the World Wide Web. RobGolfie.com is the website. That's Rob, G-O-L-F-I.com. Follow the Golfie team on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And you got to call Hamilton and Burlington's number one Remax team in volume and unit sales, 905-575-7700. That's 905 so you're in the market to buy a 100-year-old house. You've fallen in love with a century-old home, and you're willing to make the plunge. There are some things to keep in mind. Exactly seven things, at least according to this article. I'm sure there's a lot more. but Let's go through these seven things because some apply to really every house. Uh, some really apply to a 100-year-old house. So, number one on the list—I don't think these are in any particular order—but check the paint. Why should we be checking the paint in a 100-year-old house?
1: Well, there, there was lead paint way back—you uh, know, 80 years ago, 100 years ago—but that paint has been painted over. So, <laughs> so you're not going to have uh, uh, the the paint uh, on there. I'm sure there is probably at least five, six coats of paint over top the lead paint. Yes, there was lead paint way back then and uh, and I'm sure um, I'm sure it's fine um the way it is, but unless you uh, end up peeling. but um, the thing is a lot of a lot of these older homes now, a lot of people uh, tear them out, tear out the walls and put new new drywall in them. but yeah, you're right there is there is lead paint, but it's under layers and layers of uh, good paint now.
2: I remember when I bought my house and it was nowhere near a hundred years old, it was about fifty. And, uh, there was a couple of rooms that had, you know, paint and then wallpaper and then paint on the wallpaper and then more paint. And there was like four or five layers of paint and wallpaper. So I can imagine a hundred year old house probably has a few more layers to them. Uh, another thing you should know about when buying a 100 year old house is looking at the outlets. Why is this important?
1: You know what? I'm going to tell you, unless the house has been gutted completely, Every old house out there, century home out there has some knob and tube wiring, even though there's always one or two outlets, maybe more in every house. That's why you should check every single outlet, see if it's grounded. But I'm going to tell you, I've been through houses and every single one of these houses, even you see all the wiring updated. There's, there's a couple of little wires still, you know, connected to certain plugs and switches that have uh knob and tube wiring so don't don't uh, don't think there isn't any there unless it's completely gutted and there is a lot of houses out there and especially down downtown hamilton um every time you go through a century home you're gonna have to find that in, in there and and i'm just gutting a house right now and I, I didn't realize there was knob and tube wiring in there and there is and, and we found it behind the walls wow and, and you know i mean and this is in burlington and um and i didn't think there was any knob and tube in this house but thank god i'm gutting it and because uh, otherwise like I, I knew i was going to put all new wiring in there but there was knob and tube in there so Interesting. there you go uh,
2: another thing to know about when buying a century old home has to do with electrical things look for other electrical issues you know you go into some houses that you're looking to buy and they might have you know 78 junction boxes which might be a red flag
1: yes absolutely
2: uh, another the, thing, go ahead. I was going to say, another thing is being mindful of structural considerations. And the older the home, it might have some additions or maybe a subtraction if a wall is is taken down. Structural issues, certainly something that you should watch out for.
1: I know two people uh, personally that purchased old homes and they were structural issues on century homes. They had to tear out the whole corner of some uh, of one house on the basement and had to rebuild it. And I know two different people uh, that it's happened to. So be very careful. You better watch uh, uh, and, and take a look at what's going on, especially on the foundation on these century homes. Wow.
2: Uh, yeah, that brings us to another, you know, how's the water in terms of water source, uh, water lines, uh, water issues around the property, waters uh, that, that, that can do a lot of damage.
1: Absolutely. So your water line coming in is, it could be an issue. It's probably a lead pipe and chances are your, your, your water uh, leaving the house, the, the sewer, leaving the house, chances are it, there could be roots in, in your pipeline uh, with all your waste and water uh, going to the sewer systems. So sometimes that there's problems with it, with that and it gets plugged up with roots from big trees that have been growing on the, on the street. So uh, like I said, you gotta be very careful when you buy a century home, expect to add, Money, too, when you move in, because there's always going to be issues on the property. And I mean, they're beautiful to live in. They're fantastic. Uh, but you, you, you need you, you're going to need a little bit of a budget just in case all these different things that happen to it.
2: Got less than a minute. The last two things are looking up or looking at the roof with shingles and those kind of issues. and uninvited guests, not not really ghosts, although that could be a problem. But uh, <laughs> you know, pests, whether it's mice uh, or um, I don't know, some kind of infestation of some kind, that's something that you should keep in mind too.
1: Yes, it, you'll find that mice love these old homes because there's because a lot of them don't have insulation and they can crawl up from the first, second, third floor no problem with it. I mean, they can get in there no problem on any house, but but it's like a it's like a playground for for uh, mice to go into these older homes, and and also check um, a lot of these older homes have uh, um, what do you call it, plaster and lath and wallpaper is really holding up the walls there. So press <laughs> against the wall sometimes. Sometimes you think you can see the plasters separated from the loft that's behind the wall. So you may have to you may have to rip down rip down that wall to uh to uh, put new drywall. So always check that out.
2: Good tips. Hey, call the Golfie team at 905-575-7700. Find them online at robgolfie.com. Thanks for listening to the Golfie Real Estate Show. We're back next Saturday at 9 on 900 CHML.